Ladies and gentlemen, just as he appeared like a beautiful, handsome, cleft-chinned, winged Apollo, he now leaves us in the dust. That's right, it's Timothy Dalton's second and final outing as James Bond. It's the late 80s, drugs are all the rage, feminism is all the rage, and so it's time to get really wet and really into some drugs. <laughs> Where am I going with this? And it's time for License to Kill! Hey! As always, is a man who loves a little cheeky off-the-shoulder number he can wear to a casino to dole out blackjack cards to James Bond. Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Oh, I, we gone too soon. We're just getting used to the Daltons, and suddenly we're we're done with them. I was so sad when finished watching this movie. Going, I, know. I want more. I want where is no? Don't leave me this is the thing natalie and we will definitely get into this as we go through the podcast but this movie rules <laughs> uh, this movie absolutely rules the, the conventional wisdom is that this is the bad timothy dalton one anyone who says that can get in the bin this movie is awesome i was just reading through my research and um <clears throat> wikipedia and it did get a lot of uh, negative reviews at the time but i want to give you some background right. and well, can I just say I'm doing this because I've been listening to a lot of our guest Tom Solinsky's podcast, the Best Pick podcast, and it's so good. I highly As recommend. Have I, yeah, no, I've been listening to a couple of episodes. It's you fantastic. Have? It's I have, so, yeah, it's been great. They make me feel so lame. Like they're so across <laughs> everything. Like it's one thing for me Natalie, to. Natalie, that's uh, them. We're us. I know, I know, but it's one thing for you to be across a lot of pop culture and then me to go, I don't know, in a hilarious fashon. But then I listen to them. But, but like you, you would fit really well in with them, whereas I'd be sitting there going, "Man, I'm out of my depth." Although I do want to bring no, this. No, you wouldn't. You, you would do your research and you'd go in. You'd be fine. <laughs> well, I was really, I was listening to the one they did um, because what what they do, what what I'm trying to do here is they they review every film that's won the Best Picture Oscar and they sure. do it randomly. But they start each podcast by talking about the Oscars that year, what other films were nominated. They talk. Yeah. Box office of that year, and they talk about how the film itself was made and its its history. Really and fascinating stuff. It's fantastic. I love it as a, as a film buff. I love it. Great deep dives. Really professionally done. That's what I'm trying to do here. But every time I listen to them, I go, man, they've seen so many films and they're so on it. And then I listened to the year where they were talking about Michael Cimino. And or, or they ended up talking about Heaven's Gate. Oh, Heaven's Gate. They often talk about films that weren't nominated or maybe were the big disasters of the year or controversial films and things like that. So they went on a bit of a deep dive tangent on Heaven's Gate and they talked about how none of them had seen, I think Tom had seen it, but he'd only seen the shortened two-hour version. Right. And I went, finally, I've got one up on the Best Pick podcast <laughs> because you and I have heard, have seen the four-hour version of That's it. You, you and I went to an actual physical movie theatre <laughs> and watched a, a cut of the film that went for nearly four hours. And ah. it was it was an experience. It was. I feel like I'd be ready for travel to Mars and it would seem shorter. Um, <laughs> Mars, no worries. I've seen Heaven's Gate, you guys. I've got this. <laughs> so I was like, finally, I've got something that they haven't done. And then I thought maybe I should look at my life and see why that is. <laughs> but 
if I can give you the background, so this film came out in 1989. Uh, it didn't do well at the box office in America. It was the least successful Bond film in the US, I think still when accounting for inflation. Right. But these are the films it was released alongside of. Lethal Weapon 2, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters 2, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, there you go. And Batman. Yes, Batman. just a little movie called Batman. It did pretty well given the competition. I remember, <laughs> I remember Al Yankovic, Weird Al Yankovic, talking about his film. Is it Yankovic or Yankovic? Have I just made up? Uh, a Yankovic, name? I think. Normal. Yeah, it is. I just said Vich for some reason. Trying to go posh. I'm no, 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 no. You've mistaken me for Weird Al Yankovic. That's a different performer. <laughs> Very different comedy parody tunes. But Vidiot from UHF or yes. UHF opened that same weekend because he always talks about how. Oh, right, he opened the same weekend he as Batman, yeah. that same weekend as Batman. And it's insane yeah. that, like, so many films seem to be, like, opening yeah, that weekend. That's, that summer. So that's that's the putting it in historical context. It was that sort of mid to late 80s period where, like, there was just these classics, like, like things that have entered the, the pop culture canon yeah. were just coming Friend. out every weekend. It's insane. So License to Kill is the story of Bond on the lamb. He's going rogue. He's so going rogue, rogue, Natalie. Look, I'm not unhappy about Timothy Dalton going a little bit off the book, being a little bit extra daring. You're not, you're not happy. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm not. I said I'm not unhappy about. Oh, you're not unhappy. I oh, say. <laughs> I'm very happy about it, Stu. I'm very excited about an angry Bond who wants revenge. <laughs> just, just got a little bit giggly. <laughs> Ooh, can anyone else uh, feel goosebumps? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, the Timothy See, the Dalton. The thirst is still real. The thirst is still real. The Timothy Dalton. I thought maybe, maybe it was a one-off last week. Maybe I was just a bit excited. I was just a bit, you know, I'd been doing some exercise. Maybe I was just pent up. Um, but no, I've been lazy as hell today, and the thirst is still real. So yeah, he, I get it. Like, like, look, he's he, in both of these. Uh, I, we've we, we've had some discussions with several people uh, away from the podcast <laughs> who have sort of said that uh, you know the the, the, the quality <laughs> dropped. A little uh, and I'm not seeing it myself like you know it's strange isn't it and a lot of the contemporary reviews or even some from today kind of look back and go oh that was the bond uh, what's Nadia is that the opposite to a zenith yeah yeah the, the Nadia of, uh, yeah as we pointed out last week when I couldn't remember the word net and instead <laughs> saying rope cage, rope <laughs> I cage. Just, that's the beauty of English. We still knew what you meant. <laughs> oh, goodness. So Bond uh, is best man for Felix Leiter, who's the same Felix Leiter from Live and Let Die. Not the same Not, one from the last film. No. The last one was like on leave from Miami Vice. Yeah. And this time we've gone back to the same Felix Leiter. And this actor, I, I'm trying to find his name, but he was 61 when they did this film. I mean, they, he doesn't look 61, back. but he looks older. David <laughs> Hedison, yeah. yeah. So they bring him back and have him marry a woman who obviously is very close to Bond, even though we've we've never seen her, but fine. There's a revenge hit by Sanchez, the drug lord. He kills Della, Felix's new bride, still in her wedding dress. You, Sanchez. You, Sanchez. And then feeds Felix to some sharks. Doesn't yes, kill him, does. just feeds him to sharks. And I guess kills his wife, so he has to live with that. Bond is enraged, engorged with rage. <laughs> There's a lot of engorgement happening, Stu. And then goes on the lamb, goes goes rogue, goes undercover. And uh, hence we have a film. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of guns, there's some sexy babes, and there's feminism. So let's get to it. Do you, 
It's everything you want in a film, Natalie. It's the 80s. You know, you had Trump with, was it woman, man, person, camera, TV or whatever uh, it was. Yes. Yeah. The, the 80s is drugs, guns, babes, feminism. That's what it yep. is. Absolutely. And and this film has it all. It really does. Um, do you want to go first with the minute challenge or should yeah, I? Yeah, I can go first. No, no, I can. Oh, actually, oh, I've gone first a couple of times. Why don't, why don't okay. you go first? All right, I'll go. Here we go. First cab off the rank is Timothy Dalton is wet a lot in this film. It's an extremely wet film. There's a lot of there's a lot of wet action. And I don't hate it, Stu. It's, I not, don't the, it's hate not the worst it. thing in the world. I, I was almost going to take points off this film because there was a lot of scuba <laughs> stuff. And, and you know that you know that I'm a bit I'm a bit jumpy. I'm a bit gun shy around scuba scenes in Bond films. But they they managed to make it pretty interesting most of these ones. So that that's I'm, fine. There, there was even under, an underwater fight that I didn't hate. So you know when was the fight? When they send the guys down to to find him with the there's they've got the sub looking for him and then they send the guys down. And he has to, like, fight off a bunch of goons, but it's all underwater. Oh, that's right. And then he uses, like, a, a scuba tank to pistol himself to the surface or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, I remember now. And then uh, there's, 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 a, there's a really cool action scene where he basically swims to a plane that's taking off and then yes. jumps on the plane and then beats the shit out of the two people who are in the plane, <laughs> kicks them out of the plane, and then flies the plane to where he needs to go. This With movie money, rules, Natalie. Just money just pouring out of the plane. Yeah, money pouring out of the plane like a smoke trail. It's there incredible. Is- that's the other thing the 80s was, cash dollars, like dollar-dollar bills, y'all. It yeah, was just... Big piles of physical money. Make it rain kind of money. Yeah, so drugs, guns, dollar bills, babes, feminism, the 80s. Absolutely. Summed up in five words. <laughs> um, what I love about that sequence is it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, but then the movie acknowledges it later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because of the whole way that Bond plays Sanchez, the villain, in this story, Sanchez is obsessed with loyalty. Yeah. Like, he's he's keen to make shitloads of money, but that almost seems like, well, that's easy. Anyone can do that. I need to be able to engender loyalty in people. And if people screw me over, I can't handle it. And that's what Bond realises and really, like, milks that cow. You know, he grabs that udder and just really squeezes. Like, the teat (laughs) is dry you know he's just like 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 a like a harp you know like bing, bing, bing. um so, <laughs> mixing a lot of imagery there like he's milking a cow's teat like a harp i mm-hmm. do with that what you will but we'll talk about <laughs> sanchez i did have sanchez next on my list which is sanchez is a dirty villain sorry i had to make the joke i'm sorry <laughs> um <laughs> along with his henchman, Rusty Trombone. But that's okay, uh, yeah. that's another story. Another story. <laughs> that's I wrote, a different type I, of movie. I love Carrie Lowell because feminism, damn it. Q oh, turns up. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that was a joke, but she's great. And and um, Talisa Soto as Lupe is... Yeah, also really good. Also really good. Slightly odd characterization at points, but we can we can talk about Lupe. Yeah. There were some things about it that I found a little, a little off or a little confusing. But yes, Q turns up and has a significant role. <laughs> Yeah, like, like we, we get a lot of cues, even more than Octopussy, I think. He's really yeah. putting in the field work this time. Yeah, he's driving limos and being on boats and Like he's not even he's not even there like just giving gadgets. He's like part of the action. He's he's like limo driver, he's there, he's there like telling people where to go. It's great. Before I forget, I have to mention I laughed so hard at the most random thing, which is when so Q turns up mm-hmm. in Bond's hotel room, he's been told your uncle is here. I've put him in your room. And, of course, Dalton is naturally concerned. He asks Carrie Lowell for her gun. She removes the bottom half of her dress for some reason. 
Yeah, not sure what that was about. For some reason, her dress is is modular and she can remove. Well, did she rip it or did she remove it? It was it's it was unclear. Not, it's such a clean tear. Yeah. I don't understand either way. <laughs> it's like the formal equivalent of those khaki track pants that you wear that like unzip to become shorts, you know. Mm. Travel pants for the lazy. <laughs> it's a pants short combo. How could Absolutely. you not? Enjoy that. Yeah, that was mystifying. And then he cocks this tiny, tiny gun, which is hilarious in itself. Mm. It's a great visual. And then he knocks over this man in the shadows in his room. Why was Q sitting in the dark? (laughs) (laughs) He was going to leap up and shout, surprise. He's he's like, of all the things I've said I'm his uncle, that might make him concerned. So I'll just sit here in the light, waiting, facing directly the door. So when he comes in with his gun drawn, I can say, don't worry, 007, it's only me. Q, you know. Your friend Q. Who has clearly breached some sort of MI6 protocol. Oh, totally. Stealing a shitload of tech. Yeah, I know. He's taking, he's taking like, all this tech with him. It's fantastic. Right to Florida or wherever the hell they are, Isthmus City in some, you know, made-up fantasy South well, American. They're supposed to be in some fantasy uh, Central yeah. American country. Yeah. It's Panama, basically. It's, That's... it's basically Panama, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what I laughed at more than the fact that he was sitting there in the dark is that when he goes, ah, but you, you're far from home and you need help. And then he opens his treasure trove of goodies and it's, <laughs> It's like a grab bag of a homeless crazy man. I don't don't mean that to sound offensive. I just mean that, you know, people who kind of collect and they go, oh, look, these are all my precious possessions. I keep them in this shopping bag. (laughs) It's like if you you had that now, Q going, here are the weapons, there'd be a pristine, crisp, black, hard case with black padded inside. For, yes, for yes, pe- everything would have a perfectly cut out insert. Everything and- would, yeah, the perfectly cut out inserts, everything would snap open and sh- mm-hmm. sh- sh- like when he, together. when he gets the gun, that's in a present box and that's all kind of neatly, like literally neatly wrapped in it with a bow, but inside there's an insert and the gun is in there. But Q's bag, it's literally like, here's a <laughs> Polaroid camera, here's another camera that only you can use, it turns into a gun with your handprint. Here's an alarm clock, like literally an old alarm clock. Uh, I, did, I did like um, Pam sort of reaching in, uh, just pulling random shit out and pressing buttons. That that feels like it's not going to end well. The Polaroid has a laser. It's like a portable lab, I guess. They're trying to do the walk through the lab. With sure, some... yeah, yeah. It's a, walk, it's a walk and talk, but it's yeah. contained at the hotel room. Here's gadgets that we're just going to show you because they look cool, but we're never actually going to use them practically. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? Because they, they don't end up using that particular camera. No, not at all. When you would have thought maybe an infrared laser might be useful at some hmm. point. Or the, the fact that the Polaroid takes skeletal photos. Well, did you notice it takes a, a skeleton photo of, of of the two painting. of them and the painting? <laughs> the painting. That was that was great. That, that, that was that was so silly that I was, I actually liked it. I was I was like, is that too silly? I'm like, ah, it's fine. How can how can you get a skeleton of a paint? Exactly. Exactly. It's not, it's not three-dimensional. There's no actual skeleton paint. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just but it was the way that Q's like, now listen here, 007, pay attention. <laughs> this way, these are very important crap things that I've been saving since the thirties. <laughs> well, this is literally my personal uh headcanon about that particular like bag of tricks is that this isn't even like MI6 stuff. This is just the shit that Q had <laughs> in his like basement. Right. This this is like the personal things that he works on in his off hours. Off right. Brand. He's brought it along. He's like, oh, some of this might be useful. Well, considering that there's a, 
scene. There's like a little mini scene because Bond keeps telling Pam Bouvier, and that's a weird name for a Bond girl. Like Bouvier, I get, but Pam. It, it is weird. Oh, and, and we know the the pun with her last name. Do we? Have we talked about this before or not? I don't know. So there, there's a pun with her last name. So she's Pam Bouvier. And when she checks in, Bond checks her in as Pam Kennedy. And of course, uh, uh, Jackie, Jackie uh, Bouvier married John F. Kennedy and became Jackie Kennedy. That's the that's the joke there. That is the joke. So it's not yeah. a pun so much as a setup. It's not a pun, it's more of a reference, I guess. Yeah. She becomes the executive assistant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I do like the fact that there were a lot of digs at, you know, the sexism of, of the world and then Bond's yeah, she's just like, like why, why can't you be my executive assistant? He's like, ha it's a man's world. I'm like, yeah. oh. We're south of the border. Yeah. It's a man's <laughs> world down here. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Now, go get a haircut and some nice clothes. <laughs> go buy yourself something pretty. Here's a few thousand dollars. Just go buy yourself something pretty. And then she walks in <laughs> later and does he does the double take of... <gasps> Apparently, that was her hair. Like, she had the really sleek, short hairdo. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got that. Like, it, it was very obviously a wig earlier yes. in, the, in, the, in the movie. But I'm like, why did they have to have her with the weird hair? I suppose if they decided to go, ooh. Uh, they, it, they wanted that. That transformation moment yeah. that, that take off the glasses pull out the ponytail yeah it's a pretty pretty woman makeover yeah. so that was the the q thing i wanted to just mention that q and his bag of crap bag of crap i love it Every also that that camera can i just say that camera that's that's meant to be a gun right it just looks like a gun when, when he puts it together it's very obviously a gun it's not yes. like i don't know i don't i don't know who that's meant to fool <laughs> I'm, I'm here for Reuters doing some photography. It's like, why are you carrying a gun? A gun? This is a this is a camera. This is a top it's, of the line very, Nikon DS5000. I can see the trigger. There's literally a laser light coming out. Yeah, that's it. I shouldn't think. I really enjoyed this film. You only pick something apart if you love it. Surely. No, exactly. Yeah. That's, there's that there's plenty they... to rag on, but like this is. Just, this is I just realise how awful that sounds. It's like, oh, I only do it because I love you. <laughs> No, Natalie, the, the general thesis of anything I say in this podcast, and, and you as well, I imagine, should just yeah. be, this movie rules, right? <laughs> we are on board with this movie. It's pretty fun. There's a few little bits and pieces, but it's pretty fun. To continue on with my list, Bond's License to Kill has been revoked. Revoked. And that was the initial name of the film. It was called License Revoked, with the understanding that most people would get that, oh, Bond has a license to kill. It's been revoked. Interesting. But <laughs> when they put it in front of American test audiences, American test audiences thought, so what about his driver's license? What They didn't get to that. What happened with his driver's license? <laughs> because that's what license revoked means, is that he's not allowed to drive anymore. Sure. <laughs> so they changed it to License to Kill. A far better title, really. A far better title, yeah. A, a little bit more punchy, more action. I did put, this I think is the only Bond film where the pre-credit sequence leads directly to the post-credit, like immediate post-credit open, like opener. Yeah, it's, One it's scene, locked in. It's the same story. It's just the opening of the film. It's the same day. It's basically mm. an hour later. It's pretty great too. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's it's great, but it's also really sad. Like you have this amazing, fantastic opening where, and and again, something very different. Bond is a best man to Felix Leiter mm. on the way to his wedding. Sure. When Felix gets flagged down, their their beautiful Rolls Royce gets flagged down by <laughs> DEA. What is DEA again? Department of. Uh, I'm I'm not sure uh, off the top of my head. They're the drug people. The drug people, and they tell Felix Sanchez is in the country. We have to go get him. And Bond's like, aren't you forgetting something? 
Oh, no, it's not Bond. It's their other friend, Sharky. Uh, Sharky, um, yeah. <laughs> I just love that Felix Leiter, his best men, is James Bond and a guy called Sharky. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> perhaps not a great indication of, uh, of a great life. <laughs> well, you know, he's CIA. You don't make many yeah, friends. True, true, true. true. Drug Enforcement Administration, if, Thank you, you. if you wanted to know. I, I was thinking, like, Department of Energy and Armaments. <laughs> <laughs> Damn Americans and their weird departments. So he says, go tell Della what I'm doing. I'll be back. And Bond's like, no, no, I'm coming with you. I'm and coming the whole, like, you know, I've got to get you to the church on time kind of vibe. And they <laughs> they go after Sanchez. And the reason Sanchez has come into the country is that his girlfriend, Lupe, has run off and is in bed with another man. Mm. And then he says, oh, what did he promise you, his heart? Give her his heart. And they imply that they go outside and remove his heart. Out his heart. That's really dark. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, this this movie uh, was criticized at the time for being too, like, full on. And I guess even for a, even for a Bond film, it starts pretty full on and, and doesn't stop. People get on screen eaten by sharks. People get blown up, shot. It, it's a, it's a, and, you know, ripped to pieces in a weird spinning, like, crusher machine. Yes. It's a whole thing. Sanchez mostly kills people in interesting ways. So he kind of has that Bond villain mm. tendency. I think at the very end he shoots up his numbers guy because the numbers guy is just obsessed with all the heroin, not heroin, cocaine that they're losing. Yeah, well, I think by that stage he's so paranoid that he assumes that the guy is doing dirty on him somehow. Yeah, but he's the only one that I remember that he actually shoots with a gun. Everyone else is their yeah. hearts cut out or they're fed to sharks or blown up in a hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> <laughs> Like which, every... has, which has one of the best lines in Bond history, can I say? Because, like, he explodes and, and, like, all the money is in there with him and his blood and, and guts go all over the money. Yes. And they say, what should we do with the money? And he goes, launder it. <laughs> oh. That is A-plus oh. gold stamp oh. punning I, right there. I shift kissed that, the screen when that happened. Because there was a Timothy Dalton pun, and I feel like, remember how last week I mentioned the he got the boot joke in the airplane yes. when he yeah, tosses yeah. They, they kind of cut it off and they kind of cut it off i feel like the same thing happened where someone uh, was after they killed benicio del toro or something and he's like oh no it was someone else and they go it looks like he's come to a dead end and it's it that's bond's pun about someone hmm. it doesn't really make sense it's not the best <laughs> pun for the situation and timothy dalton delivers it in this very Looks like he met a dead end. Look over there. Like, again, it's a, I just get this out of the way and focus on this. Yes. <laughs> I feel like maybe that was Timothy Dalton going, oh, maybe they had to, like, argue with him over the puns. They had to trade off. Yeah. Look, they're like, okay. okay. <laughs> we'll cut these two, but you've got to say this one. Come yeah, on. That's it. And I feel like they negotiated poorly. <laughs> that was the one you fought for yeah exactly the dead end line wasn't super good but yes no the fact that there's this wedding scene they capture sanchez they literally pull his plane out of the sky hook it like a marlin that is fantastic that's that's like decades before bane had the same idea did he do that did he bane in in, uh the dark knight rises yeah yeah you like and and it's a cia plane too maybe that's where maybe that's where um Yeah, Nelson. that's interesting. It's, it's sort of the opposite. Like they, they lasso a, a CIA plane and then pull it by the tail. Okay. I've forgotten that. Well, you know, clearly when we do our Raven Bat podcast retrospective. Oh, look, Natalie. <laughs> we'll get to it. There, there's plenty to talk about there. What's great is that now that everyone's wearing masks, everyone sounds <laughs> like Bane. So I can't really complain about Bane being a terrible, terrible depiction of 
you know, a character now that everyone sounds like Bane. Thank you, (laughs) COVID-19. The fact that they have this fantastic parachute into the wedding, they land, everyone's happy. I mean, it's great. And then they walk into the church and that both Bond and Felix are kind of dragging their white parachutes behind them like trains of bridal dresses. It's just such a fantastic visual. And then then you've got the um, license to kill opening number, which what do you make of that song? I don't have a strong opinion about it. Like it's, it's fine. It's not great, but it's not, I I, I didn't hate it, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's very eighties. It's very late eighties. Apparently they had someone else do a song, which they then, Eric Clapton. Oh yes. I heard about Um, this. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't gone and listened to it, but apparently, yeah, that Eric Clapton and someone else did a version. I haven't said, this is just from my research reading online that they, (laughs) Eric Clapton was, asked to write and perform the theme song along with Vic Flick, who had played the lead guitar on Monty Norman's original 007 theme, the Dundle and Dun. So they were asked to write a song together. They produced a theme to match Dalton's gritty performance, but the producers turned it down and instead Gladys Knight's song and performance was chosen. The song was based on the horn line from Goldfinger. Did you recognise that? I definitely got that because, yeah, I remember thinking, geez, that, it feels like a Bondy theme. Yeah. Like it's a very Bondy theme. After after some very uh, 80s themes in the last couple of episodes, last couple of movies, you get that big shot of brass at the start. It's great. But it's sort of, the opening number just has like cameras and a few guns. It doesn't really. The opening titles were were weird. I'm not sure what was going on there. And this was Maurice Binder's last one. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, maybe he was just out of ideas. Yeah. He's like, yeah, the, the naked girls and, and put there, titles on them. There's some very nude girls in this one. There's some extremely like, nude girls in this one. Yeah. I was like, Jesus. Okay. Um, that high-def transfer really, really yeah. just makes everything pop, you know? <laughs> Have your eyes out. The <laughs> I remember watching a doco about the GoldenEye opening credits. So the guy who actually did the video clip for Gladys Knight's song, the official video clip, he did a Bond-esque video clip with, you know, things moving around and that sort of stuff. He ended up getting promoted to do the actual Bond opening titles number for GoldenEye. Oh, right, okay. So I'm not sure if he continued on after that. I'll have to research that, but I do remember that fact. The jump in quality between this film and GoldenEye in terms of the visuals and in terms of some of that stylistic stuff, Mm. that obviously the technology jump was really big. But yeah, from 89 to like 96 or something. 95. 95, And GoldenEye, and we'll we'll get to it next week, but I feel like it's like a 20-year jump in digital effect. You know, you've got the women and the hammers and sickles and statues and I, I feel like the, the difference between a woman in a studio just running around nude to then more digital stuff, like it represents a huge jump there. It's the sort of jump that you get when you stop using the guy you've been using since 1963 to do your titles. <laughs> That's probably true. Is, the, is probably the point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in the 80s, A View to a Kill was really fun. I really enjoyed that one because yeah. it had a bit of neon and a bit of difference and the music helped punch it up. But apart from that, they were all a bit samey. They didn't have the, you know, because obviously Goldfinger makes a huge impact and Thunderball with the water and Live and Let Die with the fire and the skulls. And mm. and then by the time we get to the 80s, just all. It's like, uh, just, just have them it, run around naked. We'll do stuff with them, I guess. Yeah. Film them in, in low light. 
if you showed them to me without the music or the titles, I might have trouble picking which one's yeah, which. There might it. be something that would identify it. Like, for example, in Octopussy and All Time High, they've got the little Octopussy tattoo. Sure. But without those identifiers, you know, it would be like, uh, is it this one? <laughs> so, yeah, so that was the opening title sequence tangent. But I feel like I feel like it's good it's Bondy, but it it seems a bit too romantic for the grittiness of this plot. Yeah, de- but, definitely. I mean, it, it's still hearkening back to a classier, not not classier, but but like a different type of Bond movie, I guess. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Duran Duran and Aha were such punchy current bands. I would have been really interested to see what they did with uh, 1988, 89 kind of band. Yeah. Desperately to think of who that would have been or could have been. Um, I'm just thinking like Madonna is kind of at her height at that point at that point she was still probably the controversial Madonna a bit too much sex a bit too much you know religious stuff they might have wanted to steer steer away from her she should have her turn I'm glad that uh, Michael Jackson never did a Bond song that would be strange well I mean for an idea you two or at least Bono and I think The Edge wrote Goldeneye so Tina Turner sang it, but yes, they exactly, wrote yeah. it. Imagine if they had done a Bond theme in 1989. Well, they they ended up they doing. They were a big band. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they ended up doing a Batman theme. They did a song for yeah. either Returns or no, not Returns, no, either um, Batman Forever or or Batman and Robin. I can't remember which I think one. It was Batman and Robin? No, yeah. no, it was Batman Forever. It was Hold it was Me, forever. Yeah, yeah. Kill yeah. Me, Kiss yeah, Me, yeah, Hold Me, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. <laughs> <laughs> That one, but that's great, and it's you can see the the tribute there, I guess, the homage. It's interesting that we've sort of totally organically that it came up, but but we're sort of organically going to segue into the the Batman films. In many ways, the Batman films sort of are, are taking on the Bond mantle in in many respects. It's interesting. We'll probably we'll probably talk about it when we get there, but yeah, it's 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 uh there's parallels there. There's not as much libido, that's for sure. Oh, in some of them. I feel like Batman is a very impotent kind of character. Like mm, repressed. Adam, Adam West Batman gets down. I can oh, guarantee I, you. <laughs> look, the exception to every rule is Adam West's Batman. <laughs> you know, the 60s was rubbish except Adam West's Batman. Nothing good came out of the 60s except Adam West's Batman. And you can uh, call in if you disagree. <laughs> I stand by it. Finally on my list, I had sharks. Lots of sharks. Lots of sharks. And and sharks are involved in several key plot points in this movie. <laughs> yeah, we should do a ranking of all the sharks in the Bond movies and which ones were deployed for best effect. Absolutely. This one was particularly horrible, given the eating of Felix's leg, which I think is actually from a Bond novel, but the line, he disagreed with something, he ate him, is just mwah, a beautiful piece Pretty of writing. Good. Then I had surprise ninjas! <laughs> Yes, I know. I completely forgot about that. Just random ninjas. It's like, here we are in a South American balmy country, and then bang, surprise ninjas. <laughs> now, I mean, of course, they're apparently from Hong Kong, so I'm not sure why they would be ninjas specifically, but, you know, it was the 80s and ninjas were big. <laughs> Yeah, when was the first Ninja Turtles movie? Was that 89? Oh, that, that was in the 80s somewhere. That was, um, oh, when I was it? I feel like it's 89 because I think I went to the drive-in to see the Ninja Turtles movie. It might be. It might, it might be early 90s, actually, now that I think about it. But there were definitely Ninja movies in the I, 80s. I feel like the second Ninja Turtles movie was in the early 90s because that was the era of the Ninja, Ninja, Zach, Ninja. <laughs> go, Ninja, go, Ninja, go. Ninja, go. Um, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first live action one was 1990. So a year Shoot. after this. Okay. But the, the, the comic, right. like, like the, the cartoon was definitely a thing in oh, the late 80s. It was, I love the Ninja Turtles. They're Did awesome. you ever, I watched that um, great show on Netflix, The Toys That Made Us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, fact, that, that episode is amazing. It's so good. Just all about the history of the Ninja Turtles. They get Eastman and Laird back together. It's, a, it's awesome. They, yeah, really, really sweet. Because I didn't know a lot of that background. I didn't realise how quickly they were bought up to become a marketable thing. Some guy bought the right to them really, really quickly, seeing the potential, but then took a number of years to actually get other people interested. But once they mm. did get a buyer and then they made the toys and made the cartoon, it just went insane. But did you ever go to Pizza Hut in Australia back when it was a family restaurant? Yes, absolutely I did. And you would get like the works meal and you'd mm -hmm. pay like $7.95 and get all-you-can-eat pizza, yep. salad and dessert bar. Definitely. And if you were really lucky, you could actually start with the dessert bar. But you were generally <laughs> discouraged by your parents who would say things like, you must have three serves of fruit and vegetables from the buffet bar before you can have any ice cream. <laughs> was my parents' my parents' rule. You must have three vegetables. So, you know, like lettuce and something and something. You couldn't just have pizza and then ice cream. But you would get like the little Ninja Turtles. They used to do toys for kids, I mm, guess their yeah. version of a Happy Meal. And you got these Ninja Turtle stick-on car things. So they would like stick on your car windows. So as you were driving around, they'd oh be... Oh, my God, I remember those. You have sparked remember? a sudden huge sense memory in me. Holy shit. <laughs> they were like little... Yeah, you, they had like the sticky things, you know. Yes, like, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Little, yeah, little yeah. And you put them on your car window and you'd have like a little turtle dangling there. And I think it had like it sort of split in half so you could click it up and down or something. I'm getting weird memories of that. Yeah, absolutely. But it was, it was one of those things where they always had so many Leonardos and never enough Michelangelo's. <laughs> Everyone wanted Michelangelo because he was a party dude. He's a party dude. He's the fun one. Cowabunga. I mean, obviously Donatello is the best turtle, but you I know, like Raphael because he was like really sarcastic and cool. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah, he was he was like the, the sarcastic guy, and in, in in the other media, he was always like the brooding, like tough guy. That's right, the one with yeah. the issues. Yeah. Uh, Leonardo was just all he was was like the leader, so I guess he had to be responsible. He's, he's the cyclops. He, he's like the he's the boring leader. Yeah, and then Donatello was obviously the nerd. He does machines. He does machines, Stu. It's, he that's certainly it. does. But when I was watching that show, The Toys That Made Us, there have been so many other turtle movies and TV shows and cartoons and live action, and I missed all of them. I don't know how, but I guess. Oh really? I, yeah, like there were movies as recent as sort of a few years ago. Oh, you mean the, the live-action ones that came out recently? Yeah, I yeah, never. They, they were not very good. But I never <laughs> even they never even impinged on my consciousness. <laughs> you know, like normally you go like for example, Downton Abbey. I've never seen it. Possibly surprising to some people because I love a bit of period drama, but I never watched Downton. But I know roughly there's some rich English people and everyone's obsessed with them because they're super repressed and rich. <laughs> That's why we love them. But at least I know. Whereas Ninja Turtle stuff, I just seem to have vanished post about 1994. I have no Ninja <laughs> touchstones. Well, you know, I mean, that, that's probably healthy when you think about it. <laughs> like, I mean, you, you, you've you been really into something when you were exactly the right age for it. And then once you were too old for it, you stopped being into that thing. And that's, that that's a very healthy thing, Natalie. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. When does that click in with the Bond films? Well, they are, you know, they're, they're timeless. <laughs> 
There for everyone. Um, to finish off my list, because I'm still going with it, uh, Wayne Newton cameos. <laughs> Wayne Newton's in this movie. He's in this movie. And apparently he got the role because he wrote to the producers saying, hey, I've always wanted to be in a Bond movie. And they went, sure. <laughs> they put him in the role. Sure, you can be this weird evangelist guy. <laughs> he does a great job. And I love that little subplot of using the evangelists to work out the price of mm. Cocaine, I think. I couldn't I couldn't quite work out how it was working. It was something about we need to raise twenty two thousand dollars. And then people would go, Oh, we've made a five hundred dollar bid and we've made a one thousand dollar bid. I didn't quite so get the mechanics. They're basically, of it. I think they're placing orders that way. They're, they're basically saying oh. we've got this many packets of cocaine. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I was trying to work out the mechanics going, I would be too stupid for this system. This is <laughs> this is how elaborate everyone had to be before mobile phones and email. <laughs> Like, and before encrypted messaging services, yeah. you know, you just have to go, look, we need to set up an entire evangelist operation, <laughs> set up a really dodgy looking Aztec temple complex for meditation. Apparently that's real. The location, like I, I th- it looked like a set to me, but apparently it's a real place. Yeah, no, it's called the Centro Cultural Otomi. Um, designed as a place for the Atomi people to congregate and celebrate their culture. And I realise I've just been incredibly insulting to it. I'm very sorry, <laughs> Atomi people. <laughs> I mean, it's very stark. Um, <laughs> it is. It has, it has uh, a very distinctive look, which I imagine is why they used it. Yeah. Ah, oh, crap. Um, yes, they did. Well, this is the thing about this film. None of this film was made in England at all because of tax reasons. They filmed all of it in Florida and in Mexico. Right, so, okay. So it was definitely a real place. Mm. Um, although I do love when Sanchez lands his helicopter, like the middle, the big middle plaza bit, big circular plaza thing opens up like a can lid, like peeling <laughs> back a can of beans. And then his chopper lands underneath it and it clicks back down. And that was very, very clearly fake how they did that special <laughs> effects. Very dodgy. But yes, I'm very sorry, Atomi people of Mexico. I'm very sorry. I uh... Very much <laughs> Just regret. Just skirt, skirting the line of cancellation once again. That's right. Once again. Now, finally, I was going to say hyperbaric chamber destructo death. That was very <laughs> yes. gruesome and fun. We mentioned the, the money laundering line. Wayne Newton, Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro in one of his first roles, and he is coming out of the gate strong. Yeah, he's creepy AF. Yeah, he's he's real off-putting, which yeah. which I, I assume is intentional. Yes, and <laughs> I guess a good forerunner of, has he done other creepy stuff? I always get Benicio del Toro confused with Javier Bardem. Which is probably oh, racist right. of me. I, I, I don't. I don't mean to, but in t- they both do kind of menacing. Really yeah, well. he he has sort of a he has a menacing. He, I mean, he plays a lot of of this type of role to varying degrees. This is probably the the creepiest he ever gets, I think. Although I'm probably forgetting a couple of performances. But for example, like he shows up in The Usual Suspects, and oh, yeah. he's more of a he's more of a. a, a... <laughs> I was going to say is um. Hang on a second. That Kevin Spacey's in that movie. How creepy can he be? <laughs> That's that's very true. Well, well, fortunately, he's not he's not playing quite as creepy as as Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey is pretty creepy in that movie. Um, <laughs> he's but uh, in every yeah. movie. Let's be clear. Even before all the stuff came out, he was creepy. He in was every always movie. pretty that's, creepy. That's Kevin Spacey's moneymaker for His years. Whole just how to be super creepy, even in roles where he was ostensibly a nice guy or something. He was <laughs> creepy. 
that was his thing. And mm. then that, and then everything happened. And then um, and life happens. It comes at you fast. It sure except, does. Except you have a 25-year successful career, and then life comes at you fast. Yeah, that's it. But, yes, Benicio Del Toro is uh, really good in this movie. Liked him a lot. Well, that and um, So Many Drugs, which, which I also mentioned, concludes my list. There were many things I wanted to write and couldn't remember of write down in time. So over to you. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so the top of my list is, um, man, Felix really gave an arm and a leg in this movie. Oh! Sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. Oh! I tried the Dirty Sanchez joke. You went the arm and the leg <laughs> I joke. I went the arm and the leg gag. I think it shows we're the right people to be doing this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So we the next, the next... together like bum she water around a dodgy, dodgy, dodgy pun. <laughs> That was my Grease impression. Very nice. Continue. Um, so the next thing I had was uh, Bond does 80s action. And that, that's what I really liked about this movie is that this is the James Bond franchise attempting an 80s action movie. Okay. Ding. Just realized why you like this so much. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely because... This is James Bond, and it's also an 80s action movie. It's incredible. <laughs> the only way it could have been bettered if Bond had shirtless, donned a camo vest, and then grabbed a, a submachine gun and proceeded to Arnie style, just kind of like... Well, look, it's funny It's funny that you mentioned that because I was going to bring up Commando, and not just because <laughs> I bring up Commando at every possible opportunity. <laughs> But because He's I think Commando, it's... Da, 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 da. <laughs> we need to do that podcast now, just called Going Panando. Going, Panando? Going, going Commando. Going to Nando's? No. Um, <laughs> going Commando. I mean, the, we, we've got to do it for the title alone, surely. <laughs> surely. If but, it has um, been done already. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I mean, I was just going to say, like, like Commando, I mean, you, you haven't seen it, Natalie, so I don't want to spoil too much of it because it is – it's it's a it's a journey, but it starts with a South American drug dealer because they, that that's what eighties action movies deal with, and he kills a bunch of people who are close to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character and kidnaps another and says you have to do a bunch of things. The premise of the movie is Arnie basically saying no, I'm going to kill a bunch of people instead. That that's what's going to happen, and then he goes and does that, <laughs> uh, and. This is the James Bond version of that, where, yeah, like, something happens and that they all go, now, Bond, you can't go off, like, willy-nilly and half-cocked. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to go kill a bunch of South American people right now. <laughs> and off he goes. <laughs> fantastic. Oh, love a revenge story. Actually, I did read somewhere on the Wikipedia page about that, that some people thought it was trying to muscle in on the territory of the 80s kind of drug revenge movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it was trying to muscle in. I mean, it was just that was what was in the culture at that point. And James yeah. Bond is sort of this weird weather vane of culture where if something's happening, chances are it'll end up in a, in a Bond film eventually. Here we go on the Wikipedia page. The United Artists press kits refer to the film's background as being torn straight from the headlines of today's newspapers. <laughs> and the backdrop of Panama was connected to the Medellin cartel in Colombia and corruption of government officials in Mexico thrown in for good measure. This use of the cocaine smuggling backdrop put License to Kill alongside other cinema blockbusters such as the 1987 films Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Robocop. And Robocop. Bond was seen to be poaching on their turf with the drug-related revenge story. Fair enough. I mean, like, you know... I but you're and like, as I said, don't care. 
yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I don't care. Like, everyone can have drug-related stories. It's fine. I don't care. Everyone make cool action movies. It's awesome. <laughs> Just as a, as a to quickly tie that up, I have found one podcast episode that doesn't appear to be live anymore. It doesn't have any kind of graphic for the channel or anything. It just says, Going Commando. 22nd of July 2018. So we decided to watch and review Commando. I mean, it's awesome, but there's plenty of insanity throughout. <laughs> I would also like to note that we both had a cold when we recorded this one. This is our longest episode thus far. It could have been longer. Honestly, I could discuss this movie all day. Same. But there doesn't. There doesn't Hashtag big mood. It doesn't appear to be anything else. And everything else that's referring to Going Commando is just like an episode of a podcast or something. It's like a title for an episode. So it's open, Stu. We need to hashtag. We We need to swoop in and snap this up. Yeah. Uh, this, this is this is a joke that is rapidly turning into an actual thing that might happen. <laughs> are, are you mad about it? I'm not. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm excited. All right. Continue with your list. Just to finish the point about 80s action, like, like I really find it interesting because not only is it Bond doing 80s actions, so a lot of these tropes of 80s action films, you know, like the revenge plot, the the, the partner who gets who gets murdered by the drug runner, the, the fact that it's South American drug dealers, which are uh, ubiquitous in, in 80s action movies, but they then bring elements of Bond to the 80s action movie formula, which I found really interesting. Like the perfect example of this is, is that the warehouse lair at the end, you don't see that in a standard 80s action movie. They're this big like warehouse full of drugs. And it's it's a villain lair. Like, like this is the yeah. thing. Like it's and Robert Darby isn't just like a, a drug lord or like a kingpin. He owns his own country. Yeah. You know, and, and he has, you know, everything in it. And everything in it. Like like he's the he's the unquestioned ruler of an entire country. Yeah. So it's this the, thing. The bank. Yeah. The casino and the president. <laughs> and the president. Who, by the way, is paycheck to personally. The president is played by Pedro Armadiras Jr., who is a Mexican actor who you might know or remember his father, Pedro Armadiras. Yeah, that name's really familiar. Yeah. His father was Ali Karimbe in From Russia oh. with Love. Oh wow. Okay, cool. Oh great. So they, they brought him back to to do to do a little thing anyway. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that sweet? Come in, yeah, get lovely. told, get told, I own you, I'll pay you what I want, get the fuck out, and then <laughs> and then to get hooked up with the hot chick at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, Lupe is saying to Bond, and we can talk about, she doesn't get killed, which is quite insane for this film, but... Uh, she she she's should like, definitely, like, like I, I didn't want her to die, but... No. In this type of film, she definitely dies, and it's yeah. insane that she makes it through. I wonder if Dalton had anything to do with that. Like maybe, yeah, maybe. Want too much violence against. Her. After all, Sanchez does whip her, literally yes. whips her. It's not. Uh... And then she's like, "It was my fault. I did something wrong and made him angry." Oh, that's fine then. That's fine. Just fine, Lupe. And then at the end, she's like kissing Bond, going, "Stay here with me. You could stay with me. Look at me in all my sensual glory." Look at me. Mm, I've got beautiful big doe eyes. Mm. And then he's like, oh, I think you should um, hook up with the president. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to jump off a very tall balcony now. To get away from you. <laughs> to get away. I'm literally going to jump over the balcony to get away from you right now. <laughs> See ya. Head him off. Bye. Hey. Go snog him. Out. Pam's down at the bottom. James, did you jump in for me? He's like, oh, Pam, I didn't see you there. <laughs> Look, now you're here. Yes, this was all for you. Yes, it was, it was all grand, for you, darling. It was a grand gesture. <laughs> 
but yeah, look, he ends up wet at the end. And I'm not angry about it. I'm just saying it's the movie ends wet and excited. It very much does. Um, but continue with your thing. <laughs> um, well, on that theme, my, my next uh, my next uh, point is uh, Timothy Dalton's still great. Uh, he is just yeah. fantastic. He is one of the best things about this movie, and that is not always the case with James Bond in a James Bond movie. That's true. <laughs> we've we've seen a couple of James Bonds already, where the James Bond is far from the best thing in in, in the yeah. movie. <laughs> so you know he's still great. I mean, it's insane to think that like he only had two of these. He should have had more. He's fantastic. Chris was saying last week that he felt between The Living Daylights and License to Kill, there's like a really good Bond movie. And if he'd done a third, it would have been his Goldfinger, essentially, like his. Mm the spy who loved me sort of thing. And it's such a might have been, isn't it? It's such a... Yeah, if they hadn't had that weird hiatus where they ran into all sorts of trouble, and we'll talk about more about this next week, but yeah. you know, like in the lead up to, to Goldeneye, there was this weird break where they, they spent quite a long mm. time sort of in the wilderness. By the time they came back, they Timothy Dalton had moved on and, and Pierce Brosnan had moved in. But, you know, you imagine what it would have been like to have Goldeneye basically with Timothy Dalton instead of Pierce Brosnan. Or, or just another movie. I kind of don't want Goldeneye to be taken away from Pierce. Like that, That's true. I'm, it's I'm kind very of his precious. movie. <laughs> it's his movie. And I love, I, I just, I wonder what could have filled that gap in about 1992 or something. You know, what yeah, would have yeah. been the, I'm just trying to think of what, what the big movies were around then. Jurassic Park, 93. <laughs> Bond fights dinosaurs. <laughs> Bond fight dinosaurs, conceivably. Um, I mean, look, I'm, I don't hate the idea. I'm just going to do a quick search for 1992 movies. Just yeah, I'll tell you what, that, that's something they haven't done, Natalie. They've been to space, but he hasn't fought dinosaurs. <laughs> okay, Strictly Ballroom. Could Bond be in some sort of dance competition? <laughs> um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Could he fight vampires? Fight vampires. Again, all um, solid ideas. Sister Act, could he go undercover with nuns? That would certainly be very... <laughs> it would be, I mean, they, they've done that. There was that, uh, is it nuns, not not spies like us? Um, nuns on the run? I nuns on the run, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Wasn't that Eric Idle and Robbie Coltrane? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> I think I saw that, or or maybe I just saw ads for it, but you just know someone had the idea, nuns on the run, and went, yeah. job done, okay? Yeah, right absolutely. Itself. Two blokes dress up as nuns. Yeah. Two, two petty criminals dress up as nuns, job done. Also, also in 92, we have Reservoir Dogs. Could we have okay. James Bond dancing around to stuck in the middle with you and slicing <laughs> someone's ear off? And I'm just saying that because I've not actually seen Reservoir Dogs, but I know that reference. That, that is definitely something that happens in that movie. Hang on. Wait, Stu, we've got it. This This was the Bond movie that didn't become a Bond movie but filled that gap. Yeah. I want you to think Kevin Costner. I want you to think. Oh my God. Whitney Houston. Yep. I want you to think. I will always love you. <laughs> the Bodyguard, 1992, with a yeah. bullet. That's it. James Bond guarding a famous celebrity. That you know, you know what? Like again, like this is a bit, and we're joking, but like that's a <laughs> solid premise for a Bond movie. Wow, there's a whole bunch of 1992 films. It was very busy. Home Alone 2. I think that's the one that D- Donald Trump was in. Oh, Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. I've seen that film. Absolute classic. That's really good. <laughs> Basic Instinct. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine Bond going up against Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct? <laughs> He'd be toast. Um, a Few Good Men. Bond can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reference. Um, Batman Returns. Unforgiven. I've never seen that, but I've heard it's Unforgiven good. is a great movie. Alien 3. Uh, uh, is a very bad movie. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, a, a for, often forgotten classic, although I've heard they're making a remake of it, is um, Death Becomes Her with Meryl Streep. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Bruce Willis. I've heard they're making a remake, and I'm really interested in that, but that is a phenomenally fun film. Mm. I've seen that so many times as a kid. Not recently, but as a kid. And then, of course, Wayne's World. Oh, of course. 1992. Oh, my God, The Mighty Ducks and Beethoven and A League of Their Own. That's one of my yep. favourite ever yep. films, A League of Their Own. I haven't seen it in years and I must watch it. That is a classic film. And considering how little women's stories are <laughs> around in cinema a lot, it's such a great film that's just all about women. It's just all women's – it's so good. So there you go. And and now we've become the movie podcast again. But also <laughs> Aladdin. But I can't imagine James Bond being an Aladdin because Robin Williams owns that. Well, I mean, I feel like we've already seen the James Bond version of Aladdin, and it's not great. <laughs> What's that? I, I just mean that they've gone to several uh, Agrabah-style oh, uh, right. countries in the past. <laughs> it was octopusy, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And, <laughs> and the end of uh, Living Daylights. The end of Living Daylights. And also um, Never Say Never Again and the whole white slavery uh, yes, yes. thing. Yeah, there's a lot of very Aladdin-looking characters in that, in that ridiculous <laughs> sequence. <laughs> All right. Back to your list. Yes. So uh, Timothy Dalton is still great, great, wonderful. We He's gone too soon. Uh, and then uh, Pam and Lupe, the two Bond girls in this one, are both pretty great as well. It's, it's yeah. rare that you get like two really good ones in, in the same movie. Usually one's good and one's like a bit weird and problematic, but like both can fine. I, can I talk to Lupe for a moment? Because mm. I think I think she's a great actress and I think she plays that role. She's an abused a victim of abuse so she's she's kind of downtrodden that sounded horrible um how do i say this she's she's abused like she's um what's the word there's a word and i'm struggling to find it but she's she's a in a hostage situation basically she has stockholm syndrome not even that because i think she knows what sanchez is and i think she hates him but she's i think she is a little hopeless like she's not she made her escape she got trapped back into it and then she feels a bit resigned to fatalistic maybe Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. She's kind of like, well, this is my life now. I hate everything, but I'm just going to be here and be Sanchez's sex object, essentially. And, and you know, whipping boy, literally. The character arc that I imagine for her and they, they kind of hint at is that, like, she started as, like, an enthusiastic girlfriend and then yeah. became, like, disillusioned over time and has and has been acting out more and more in yeah. the lead up to the, the events of this film. And then I we, mean, the, you guy, see her. the guy whips her and then gives his pet iguana a diamond necklace. <laughs> Yeah. That came out of nowhere. I was not ready for the iguana. Super, super weird. Hey, you know. He was like Selma in The Simpsons with Jub Jub. <laughs> <laughs> you gave no indication of having an iguana. And, and I get it. It was the whole Blofeld thing of instead of having a cat, and a cat is that, that yeah. whole idea He's of. South American. He's got an iguana. But also it's reflecting him. Like the cat the cat is, you know, sleek and clever and can be vicious and, you know, that kind of like petting the cat and showing that you have dominance over a cat shows that you have some sort of, you know, a lot of control or a lot of power because anyone can stroke a dog and be like, it would just not be the same if you had Blofeld going, this is my puppy. Like the dogs that they have in Bond films are always hunting dogs or guard dogs and they're big sure. Rottweilers or, you know, they're always – dangerous dogs but you couldn't have Blofeld sitting there patting a dangerous dog and it'd just be snarling the whole time and you couldn't have him with a little Bichon freeze just on the lap you know <laughs> imagine him trying to deliver a speech of you know you must this give us Mr. the money Waffles. <laughs> and he's like would you like a bone Mr Waffles <laughs> 
and then we're, Mr. Waffles. We're literally doing Doctor Evil now. I know, but can you imagine, like him sitting there delivering the news down the phone, and just in the background you hear. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what a dog would be with Blofeld. Like totally. that's that's what a dog dogs are adorable. You couldn't have a supervillain with a dog. Whereas with a cat, you know, the cats are sleek and they'll be quiet, and they will be like, yes, do destroy all humanity. I approve wholeheartedly of this message. <laughs> and also, it's kind of like that European villainy thing. Whereas South America and Sanchez is like a snake. You know, he's a reptile. He's a really brutal, scaly man. So it's kind of it's kind of his um his demon from his dark materials. <laughs> it's, it's but that's not very nice to the iguana. Like I feel like iguana's got a bad rap there. <laughs> no, also, I mean it's it's a very apt comparison. It, it, it definitely represents him uh, very well. And you're right, like like it's his it's his Blofeld cat. He's got a he's got a weird lizard that he that he yeah. sits with. And gives diamonds too. Yeah, absolutely, as you do. And then she befriends at the end, even though she says that she hates it. And then by the end, yeah. she's like, she stole its jewelry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to talk why some things kind of just didn't fit right with me with sure, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She seems to, for someone who has escaped from Sanchez to the point where he broke a decade long, you know, non, not going to the US kind of thing and risked capture to get her back, he doesn't seem to be very interested in her, like staying in her damn room. I mean, on the ship when she's on the wave crest. She kind of just stays in her cabin. But then once she's back at Sanchez's villa, she just wanders around and she helps Bond escape and drives mm. him off in her speedboat. And she's like, I'm going shopping. Bye. Like, I don't think that would have happened. I think she would have had far. And she wanders into his room in the villa and they have sex. And, and Sanchez yeah. is like down the hall. Like, that's really. And then she keeps telling Bond, like, oh, no, we'll both be killed. Go away. You're. But then she sort of changes and is like, no, 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 that's fine. Let's just do it right here. Let's do it in front of his door. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, she definitely definitely seems very mercurial anyway. So I guess it's not totally like... Yeah, and I I don't want to discount. Like, she's a woman who's who's obviously desperate to escape, but they either don't play that up enough or there was something about it that just didn't, you know, on the rewatch, I'm like, there's just something about it that doesn't feel quite clicking together. Just like a jigsaw puzzle piece that you're trying to make fit into the wrong little gap. Just a little bit like you could, you know, you could get a a, a hammer and kind of bash it in there, which I have done on occasion with jigsaw puzzles. I'm like, just (laughs) fuck it, just get... In that. Can I tell you a little sidebar about a jigsaw? Here we um, go. I, I still can't quite believe that I, I did this. So when when Batman came out, the first Batman, they released right. merch. And my mum bought us Famously Batman, so. Yeah, they bought us a Batman jigsaw puzzle. I do not know why. I don't think we went to see the film. <laughs> she bought us a Batman jigsaw puzzle. It was a great big thing. And we put it together. And then back in the day, I don't know if people still this, do this, but you can like laminate or something or kind of epoxy your jigsaw puzzles. And then they become a, a painting, like a picture. Sure. Yeah. You know, you never get to do it again, but who does jigsaw puzzles multiple times? And it was the bat, it was just that gold Batman logo, you know, the, the gold on a black background. I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yes. <laughs> that one. And it's got like the 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 two sort of bits up the top and the three like nubs down the bottom. And it's got a bat in the middle. Well, b- because of putting this jigsaw puzzle together and just focusing on the gold and the black was the background. So for a while, I thought the Batman logo was like a mouth with two teeth at the top and three at the bottom. Because <laughs> if you look at that Batman logo and you just look at the gold bit, it looks like a mouth. So I just never saw the bat. 
And then one day I was sitting down there, and this, this is probably two years after we did this jigsaw, and I looked right. at it, and all of a sudden my eyes clicked in, and I went, oh, that's a bat. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bat. Oh, Batman, of course. Batman. I just <laughs> like they were going for some sort of tooth metaphor with the mouth or stinging or biting or something. I don't know what I thought. Putting the was, bite on crime. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I was like 11 or something and I just, <laughs> it didn't occur to me. And this is why I can't do magic eye paintings. And um, <laughs> I have really good eyesight, but I just missed that whole depiction of, anyway. So that's my sidebar about jigsaws. Fair enough. But Lupe. So to conclude, I think she's great, but the fact that she's not involved I suppose she doesn't go out to the big terrorist explosion thing. Like normally a villain would have the girl tied up or he would have shot her for some reason or used her as a bargaining tool against Yeah, and she's sort of not involved. She's just there at the end when they're having a party. <laughs> well, she's sort of done her bit. And you're right. Like, I mean, you you mentioned earlier that, like, she survives the film. And, yeah, like, it's weird. And it, it does seem like maybe she was supposed to die in an earlier draft and they kind of, backed out of that and didn't kill her off but then she obviously wasn't present for the last like sort of climax of the film so she just sort of shows up at the end she's like i'm fine it's okay i'm gonna marry the president now for a film about you know feminism and girl power they really want to put these two women against each other for bond's (laughs) affection you know there's there's definitely i I love that i love that like q is the perfect wingman yes he's making excuses running interference it's such a weird thing when lupe turns up because, again, Bond has told Q and Pam to beat it. He keeps <laughs> telling them to sort off. And then Q, it's so sad. Q always looks like a... He's like a kicked puppy. Yeah, like a kicked puppy. Oh, okay. I just remembered what I started talking about at one point earlier and forgot. This is the Raven Bond podcast. I do that. But I just want to <laughs> mention Q at one point seems to invent a radio inside a rake. You know, when they're watching... Yes, that's right. I remember that. So, so, and it's just after this scene where, where Lupe comes in to say, oh, you've got to help James. He's going to be taken over to Sanchez's control centre and they're going to do so. He's in danger. And so then they go to watch him being taken over. Now, for some reason, Q dresses as a street sweeper or mm. something. He like sees, a gardener or something, yeah. Like a gardener. And he sees them leave the house and then puts up an antenna on his rake and opens the the middle bit of it to reveal a radio and then says into it, they've left the house or they've left the compound, they're going this way. And then he just chucks the thing into the garden. He doesn't even, like, click it down and walk off with it. He just tosses it. And I'm like, yeah, it's weird. I know you're a really clever guy and you can invent stuff just like that, but why would you just throw it away where anyone could pick it up and go, wow, this is a really cool radio transmitter. Hello? Hello? Like, can you imagine, <laughs> you know, um, Pam's on the other line and all of a sudden someone walks along going, uh, come esta? Hello? Hola? Hola? Can you hear me? Like, can you get off this line? What happened to Q? I just found this thing. <laughs> just in my garden. I, who are you? Why are you abandoning rakes in my Do all rakes do this? Yeah, all rakes do so anyway, but then, yes, yeah, so Lupe turns up to warn them of this event and she sort of rushes in breathlessly going, you have to help James. And they're like, but he's gone out of the country. Now, first of all, why did they even think he would 
do that. That was so stupid. They're like, oh, he's out of the country by now. Like he's literally told them, I work better alone, go back to America. And the whole point is Q turns up because he knows Bond's going after Sanchez. Cam is staying there because she thinks she can help him as he goes after Sanchez. He hasn't got Sanchez yet. And they're both like, oh, no, he's out of the country. No, he's not. He's going after Sanchez. Are you idiots? (laughs) But then she says, no, you don't understand. Last night he spent the night with me. And then Pam is is like, oh, and she's like, you must help him. He's 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 helpless or something like that. And then runs out. And then she's like, you must help him. He was helpless. And it's all like catty. And Q kind of puts an arm around and goes, oh, you mustn't uh, treat him too hard. Field agents have to use every trick in the book <laughs> yes. to get their information. Exactly. And, and then she just goes, bullshit. <laughs> walks off. It's so weird but funny. I, I kind of like it. It's, I, it's, I it's like a, yeah. that she literally calls bullshit on him. Yeah. But also it's an odd. It's, it's like, a weird scene, but I liked it a lot. I, I was like, yeah. this is this is goofy as hell. I love it. So she's gotten out. She's gotten Bond out. She's gone back. Bond comes back later on. She comes into his room going, what the hell are you doing back here? And then she has sex with him. And then she gets out again today. <laughs> to go warn them that, oh, he's in danger. Like, it, hmm. it kind of doesn't – it's like they had to write that bit in because they're like, well, who, how do they find out where's Bo- where Bond is going so they can chase him? And it's like, well, let's get Lupe to tell him. But you don't see her leaving. You don't. You just She just turns up going, oh, unless she works at the casino because she can apparently deal. That was very <laughs> weird. Well, apparently she doesn't work there anymore. She used to, which which we assume is how, is how Sanchez, like, Found spotted her. her for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, it's very weird how he's like, oh, he's Bond is is making you know big bucks at the blackjack table, trying to get Sanchez's attention, and then he sends her down to like suss him out, which of course backfires because she knows him from the boat. Have you finished your list, or have I just hijacked this conversation? Uh, not not quite, but but uh, okay, it was finish a long your list, and yeah. Finish your list. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, I mean, so it was Lupe and then also Pam. Like, I mean, like, Pam's great. Uh, I like her a lot. As a Bond girl, she's pretty good. Very assertive. Very assertive. Very, very capable. Yeah. Um, but not in, like, a not, not in an unrealistic way, not in, like, a, a weird way. Like, she's, you know, she's uh, billed as an ex-army pilot, so we know that yeah. she can do and stuff. There's, uh, there's that fantastic moment in the bar where – and I love – Bond just gets stuff in this movie. He just has things. Like, he rocks up to meet her. He finds out her name is on Felix's CD of contacts or something. Yes. And yeah. finds their meeting time, which, Felix, you're supposed to be on honeymoon, man. What are you doing? <laughs> and then he just turns up at this bar in a boat, like a speedboat. Sure, Couldn't I mean, it's a, Florida. Couldn't he get a cab? How did he get a boat? Did he just hire a boat? What? <laughs> and then she's like, are you carrying? And he goes, yeah, and shows his gun. And I was like, why are they showing a shot of his gun? Like, they don't need to do that. He should just nod and go, mm-hmm. And then I realised, oh, it's so the joke works, which is when he goes, are you? Oh, no, no, she sees it and she goes, oh, lightweight, basically, and then shows her, you know, machine gun under the Well, she's got, she's got a shotgun. She's got she's a got shotgun, shotgun under, the under the table. But, yeah, so she's she's all like, huh, feminism and stuff. <laughs> It's good. It, I, I like her. I think I think like, they're both great. I think I think Lupe and, and Pam are both really great uh, Bond girls. I like them yeah, both very much. I sound like I'm taking the piss, but I really did enjoy both of them. No, um, totally. The other thing, I, we, we've talked about Q. I said there's lots of Q in this movie, which I love. It has a Mad Max climax. Oh, like the Fury Road. Like, yeah, it's like, like everyone, everyone's racing trucks. Everyone's racing <laughs> big rigs. I love the Fantastic. fact that this... Suave international spy and this drug dealer with all the money and power and country, they end up fighting each other on the back of a tanker. Yes, and it's awesome, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It's actually love- a really good sequence. Yeah, no. I liked it a lot. 
super fun and very ballsy and gritty. What I love is that they have the four tankers. He has to get rid of three tankers and then finally get Sanchez in the fourth one. And that's very, yeah. you know, normally you'd have three. Kill one, kill two, and he's on the third. Like, that's rule of threes. But this one, they're like, no, 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 it's a Bond movie. He has four. He's got to get four. But, yeah, they're everywhere. And then, meanwhile, there's Pam and her crop duster over the top flying very conveniently. Yeah, like, like she's she's flying around. Like, it's 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 a really complicated, but it, it's a complicated sequence, but you're never confused as to where everyone is or what is going on. Like, it's actually yeah. very well done. Yeah, and there's the guys coming after them who all get caught by her dust crop thing and they're all, yeah. like, coughing and then they start running down after him again. And, yeah, it's, it's very well staged. I think they filmed some of that with Dalton on the top of the truck at one point as well, as well as a stuntman. Oh, right, so he was actually up there. Oh, no, wait, sorry. The scene where Sanchez's plane is hijacked was filmed on location in Florida with stuntman Jake Lombard jumping from a helicopter to a plane and Dalton himself being filmed atop the aircraft. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, the plane... That, that's over- a, I would have expected them to do the truck over the plane, Jesus. Yeah. After filming wide shots of David Hedison and Dalton parachuting... They must have parachuted then. Why would – I thought they would have said – so David Hedison played Felix Leiter. They must have parachuted. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, closer shots were made near the church location. During one of the takes, a malfunction of the harness equipment called Hedison to fall on the pavement. The injury made him limp for the remainder of filming. Nice. <laughs> that sort of that sort of foreshadows what happens to his character. Yeah. <laughs> the aquatic battle between Bond and the henchman required two separate units, a surface one led by Arthur Worcester, which used Dalton himself, and an underwater one, which involved experienced divers. The barefoot water skiing was done by world champion Dave Reinhardt with some close-ups using Dalton on a special rig. For the climactic tanker chase, the producers used an entire section of highway near Mexicali, which had been closed for safety reasons. 16 18-wheel tankers were used, some with modifications at the request of the driving stunts arranger. Most were given improvements to their engines to run faster, while one model had an extra steering wheel on the back uh, of the cabin so a hidden stuntman could drive while Kerry Lowell was in the front, and another received extra suspension on its back so it could lift its front wheels. Oh, yes. Although a rig was constructed to help a rig tilt onto its side, it was not necessary as stunts arranger Remy Julien was able to pull off the stunt without the aid of camera trickery. He actually got that rig. Yeah. Yeah, he got it up on. He got it up on like I guess like well, what's half of sixteen wheels? Eight wheels. Eight? No, Uh, eight is nine wheels. Yeah, yeah. That stunt was fantastic. I was was like, holy crap! They really did that. I thought that must have been faked in some way or using models, but no, he did it. He got an eighteen wheel up on the side. Got it up on. Got up on one side. The the one that was less impressive was the one where that he somehow Bond gets the truck to rear up so it jumps over the fire. That that was a bit weird, but. (laughs) <laughs> that's fine again yes. action stunt stuff not crazy fantastical moon battles and whatnot but yeah 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 i mean like, still still pretty weird i mean like like this this one is is a bit weirder than the living daylights but but it's definitely still in the grim and gritty sort of range which i yeah. quite like and at the end of that when when bond is you know he and sanchez are fighting to the death as this tanker mm. goes over a hill and crashes <laughs> down into into a valley and bond is thrown from the the vehicle and you see him kind of get up and he is buggered he yeah. is like he's beaten up he's beaten up and i always love it when they show bond really badly stuffed up <laughs> you know it happens occasionally where you see him bloody and bruised and bleeding and it happens earlier in the film too with the Hong Kong undercover agents, but we'll mm. get to that. But he, 
yeah, he um he's all bloody and bruised, and then Darby just is on him. Darby's the actor, but Sanchez is just on him with his big machete. Was it a machete? A big big knife? Yeah, he's got a, he's got a machete. Yeah. What I love is he's about to kill him, and Bond says, "Did you ever wonder why?" And he pulls the lighter out of his the the Chekhov's lighter that um Felix and Della gave him on their wedding day because he's still chain smoking through this film. Because they're the lighters, Natalie. Did you get that? <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> They gave him a lighter. I, di- I, di- I didn't get that. <laughs> oh, my God. I di- I di- Stu, brain <laughs> does not. Uh, listeners, I think I've broken Natalie. How, how did I not get that joke? How did, I, how, did, how did I live years on the planet and not get that joke? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm just staring into space right now going. <laughs> <laughs> it's a light. They gave him a lighter. Because they're light. Because they're lighters. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I, like, I, I couldn't remember exactly how it happened, but I was like, oh, they, they gave him a lighter. It'll be important. But then what I was thinking about in that moment was not, I mean, yes, it's revenge for the lighters, but also he pulled out the lighter. But the inscription is quite small and not yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> close to Sanchez's face. And why would he sort of stop and go, Oh, what a what? what what does it say to James? We love you always, love Felix and Della. Well, who's Felix and who's Felix and Della? Why would you show me this lighter if I don't understand why this doesn't explain why you're doing this? It just is a message engraved on a lighter. I don't I don't quite get this. It doesn't. I mean, you've said, do I want to know why? And I do want to know why you've been acting this way and, and betrayed I'm me. Intrigued now. I'm intrigued now, but this is not like it. It's not like he says you killed. Felix and Del, you know, you killed Felix Leiter or whatever. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's a weird way for them to to do that. Like they why could have. Why would he stop? Wouldn't he go? This is a distraction. Clearly, smack. You know. <laughs> anyway, nit, nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking. Uh, I'm still getting over the fact that I never got the lighter joke in all these years. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. I feel like I need to apologise to myself, my family, and the club for <laughs> disrespect I brought on the code. Goodness me, how did I not, Stu? <laughs> This is this is really throwing you for a loop, hasn't it? <laughs> this absolutely floored me. I'm ashamed. I'm also delighted that it's <laughs> but disgusted in myself that I didn't get that. I very much enjoyed the Ernest Hemingway pun when he meets M at Hemingway House and then they yes. ask him to turn over his revolver. And instead of just going, okay, sure, here you go, now I'm off and I'll buy one on the street, he goes, ah, a farewell to arms, and then kills everyone. Um, <laughs> just beats everyone up and escapes. Yeah, that was a good pun. Got that yeah. one. Got that one. <laughs> Didn't get lighter. It's right there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's stealth. They don't, they don't draw attention to it, but I was, I was like, it has to be intentional, that it's, it's Felix and Della lighter, and they give him a lighter. Yeah, I just thought it was because he was a chain smoker. <laughs> like, how do we, how, what do we give him that he'll always have on him, you know, that he'll use? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you don't want to give people redundant gifts. You don't want to give James Bond commitment. Commitment <laughs> 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 ring. <laughs> you don't want to give James Bond a housewarming party. Um, I'm trying to think of unlikely things for James Bond to do. You don't want to give James Bond a Thermomix. 
<laughs> Tell you what, though, he could fashion that exploding function. Sure, he actually, yeah, he, he'd turn it into a bomb at the, the first opportunity. Why were people so obsessed with those? Or I, do you have one? Or I think I they're still obsessed with those. I mean, it was basically it was basically just a, a fancy pressure cooker, wasn't it? Yeah, but you, you don't have one, do you? I'm not going to insult you. No, 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 no. no. Okay. I, I don't. I'm not in the uh, the uh, socioeconomic uh, demographic that would have a. <laughs> okay, because for a while there, for a while there, they were so ubiquitous on Facebook, and everyone was talking about the thermomixes and stuff. I'm like, should I be paying two grand for a food processor? Like, <laughs> is that is that what I should be doing? Is that going to make my life easier? And then everyone goes, oh, it's fantastic. You can just make soups and casseroles. And what's the other thing you make in them that people love? Uh, risotto. You can make risotto. risotto. That was, risotto. That was a good thing. What are three things I don't eat? Soup, <laughs> casseroles, and risotto. Like, I just never eat them. <laughs> if someone cooks them for me, sure, but I never make them. And I don't know why having well, a thermo. Maybe you would if you got a thermomix, Natalie. But I don't really eat soup, so I, I guess I would. I guess I would if I had a thermomix because to justify the price. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You'd be it'd be soup for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. But you're like, look, every time I make a soup with this thing, you know, the cost per use gets a little less. That's so right. at the moment, break even in about three years. Yeah, exactly. Having soup every day. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, oh, it's great. You just make up a big batch and put them in the freezer. And I am so bad at pre-preparing food because there are very few things that I pull out of the freezer and then go, yeah, great. I'll just have this heated up. I know it's <laughs> fine. I know it's healthy. I know it's fine to do. I just, for some reason, don't do it. So it's been replaced now, the Thermomix, because it's $2,000 and kills you. Um, with Insta, <laughs> in, Instapots, Instant Pots. Everyone's obsessed with Instant Pots. Okay, well, that, that one's completely passed me by. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, it's like a pot. And you know what people are making them? Freaking casseroles and risotto. Sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many people are eating risotto, Stu? Yeah, I know. Is the whole world eating risotto and I'm missing out on something? <laughs> Why can't I have just plain rice? What's what's wrong with that? I quite like a nice risotto, but uh, having said that, um, if you don't like risotto, it's totally fine. <laughs> You don't have to buy a $2,000 piece of kitchen equipment. Now I just picture James Bond trying to sell thermomixes because it's like a <laughs> it's like a sales thing too, isn't it? You get you get one and then you go, I know how I'll help make up the money for buying this thermomix is I'll help sell other people thermomixes <laughs> and then I'll get a cut of what they spent and that'll help me pay off. It's a giant um, pyramid scheme. I feel like it might be, but I again, everyone seems to be like legitimate people who wouldn't otherwise be in pyramid schemes. Oh, that's oh, how they get you. Oh, but it's a thermomix. Like, okay, good. Um, <laughs> the, the catering show, I think that great uh, YouTube series, they did the best takedown of thermomixes. Just the best. I mean, that, that kind of, that, that was their first real <laughs> viral thing. What do they call risotto? They call it hot, wet rice and dinner pudding. It's <laughs> 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 so good. Anyway, um, back to License to Kill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I technically haven't finished my list. I've got oh, one God. more item on my list. I'm so sorry. No, no, don't don't apologize. It's been fantastic. The only other thing that I wanted to note was that um, Felix seems weirdly okay at the end of this movie. He is <laughs> chipper as hell, uh, having just lost a leg and his wife. <laughs> Um, it's like, Felix, are you okay, buddy? Have you, like, disassociated or something? Like, are you going to be all right? <laughs> He's like, yeah, James, uh, the doctors say they'll save the arm. Too pity about the leg. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, are you are you okay? Maybe they've just got him pumped full of, you know. He's just expensive. totally, he's, he's out of his mind on painkillers. He is tripping balls. 
on methadone. Not methadone. What do they give you? Pethadone. Pethadine? <laughs> Pethadine. <laughs> the stuff that makes you feel all very happy. And he, He's got one of everything, including his legs. I just, why didn't they kill him with the sharks? Why did they? Him living doesn't really, like, affect the, this film. The only thing I can think of is that they didn't want to kill off Felix Leiter. Yes, that element comes from, I think we discussed this during the Live and Let Die podcast, but that element does come from Live and Let Die. I think it's Felix they feed to the sharks. That's where I think I'm getting that. He just, It does say here uh, on the research that the novel Live and Let Die provided the material surrounding Felix Leiter's mauling by a shark, whilst the film version of the book provided the close similarity between the main villain, Mr. Big, and Licence to Kill's main villain, Sanchez. So again, this film, this is the first Bond film that's not, the title of a novel or a short story. Mm. It's the first original title, and I think they they go like that until Casino Royale. But they took bits and pieces from some bits of Bond short stories. And what's interesting, Richard Maybaum, longtime Bond writer, and this is his last film because he dies after this as well, he and Michael G. Wilson, Cubby Broccoli's stepson, wrote the outline for this film, but then the writer's strike happened. Remember that late 80s writer's strike? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, don't remember it. We were kids who the hell knew what was happening, but... I'm aware of it, yeah. It was a very big deal. Because one of the big things that came out of that writer's strike, again, just as an aside, was... The TV show Cops. Oh, there's a fantastic article I read about it somewhere. Anyway, I'll find it and send it to you, but about how that writer's strike essentially started the move towards reality TV because it showed that you could put a show on that didn't require writers, really, yeah. didn't require hosts, presenters. It was just getting real footage. You just needed camera people to go out on the streets, follow these, you know, cops along, see what material you get, massage a few stories out of it, and then all of a sudden you've got content that's really cheap to produce but, of course, is incredibly influential on how people perceive the police and how people perceive drug dealers and how people perceive crime and (laughs) has now been cancelled because of Black Lives Matter and George Floyd protests and all that sort of stuff. Cops (laughs) finally got cancelled. But, yeah, that writer's strike is what led to sort of the reality TV growth during the 90s slowly and then into the 2000s, definitely. Yeah, that's fascinating. So because of that strike, Mayborn went, well, I can't work anymore. He went on strike. And so Wilson worked on the script on his own. So, yeah, they took bits of a short story called The Hildebrand Rarity and then bits of Live and Let Die, that sort of thing. So I'm just clicking on Live and Let Die and... Oh, yeah, that's right. Live and Let Die is about those 17th century gold coins that are being... Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I'd forgotten about that. So, yes, Leiter returns to the warehouse by himself but is either captured and fed to a shark or tricked into standing on a trapdoor over the shark tank through which he falls, he survives, but loses an arm and a leg. Yeah. Bond finds him in their safe house with a note pinned to his chest. He disagreed with something that ate him. So, yes, that was Fleming. Well done, Fleming. But, yeah, so that's (laughs) where Felix... Is so, so there's precedent. I mean, there's precedent in in the books for him being like like literally this exact thing happens to him, and that they've yes. just made it. They, they've given it the '80s action movie twist where it's his, it's his wedding day and his supposed death, or, or at least his his maiming, has is enough to spark Bond into action for a, re- a revenge plot. Yeah, which is very cool. But yeah, like like you do you do wonder if if they were thinking, you know, oh, should we kill him off? And then I guess they were like, well, we want to keep the character around. Mm. But then, like, is he in Goldeneye? I can't remember. No. 
No. We don't see Felix Leiter again until Casino Royale. Oh, right. So that explains why he doesn't show up with like a wooden leg. And right. Because I was thinking, I, I don't remember him like hobbling around on one leg. So yeah, okay. Fair enough. They use a different CIA guy. Uh, they bring Joe Don Baker back, who is Whitaker in The Living yes. Daylights as a villain. They bring him back as a CIA guy in Goldeneye whose name escapes me right now. I know he's got a tattoo of Muffy or something on his on his back <laughs> and that's how Bond recognises him. Miffy, Muffy, Miffy. Anyway, we'll we'll figure that out next week. Anyway, where were we? What next? Um well that that brings us to the end of my list. Okay. So um probably could start wrapping it up really. That's it's been a we have discussed the whole film, I think. Uh, I don't think there's much that I want to get to. Is there anything else that, that you wanted to talk about? Look, Timothy Dalton in, you know, some very nice white shirts. Sure. Getting wet a bit. Oh, when when they get out on the boat, he doesn't just get into the boat with Lupe. He's in the water, mm. clinging to the side of the boat. I also want to shout out the great 80s fashions. There's just some fantastic, like, super peak late 80s bubble skirts and ruffle skirts, mm-hmm. and mostly by the side characters. Um, the main two are dressed beautifully, like Carrie Lowell's in these fantastic, like, Audrey Hepburn-style collars and neck necklines, a lot of halter-type tops. A lot of the fashion of the extras in terms of the female characters is very 80s, but what they've put mm. the leads in is relatively timeless and very, very – like Lupe's yeah. red dress is just – oh, stunning. It's fantastic, yeah. Oh, she's just the best anyone has ever looked in red, just extraordinary. And Carrie Lowell's dresses at the casino are great – and she's even at, at one point in those 80s trousers where you had to be really slim because they're really baggy, like puffy trousers. You had to be really slim to wear them. And you realize that's just not fair. Like they make really <laughs> kind of these weird bulky man pants that were fashionable for women in the late 80s, this kind of masculine styles. But you couldn't wear them if you actually had, you know, hips. Yes. <laughs> like, screw you. <laughs> So she looks great. There's one point where she disguises herself as the pilot, you know, after telling Q again to get lost, he's like, actually, I'm pressing you back into action. And mm. they they take over a pilot boat to bring the wave crest into shore and she acts as the pilot and everyone's like, you, a woman. a woman, and a woman, and she gets cranky and runs the ship into the dock, which was kind of the plan, but sure. And then she gets out of her suit and she's in just in like a flesh-coloured swimsuit. Sure. She, she might as well be nude. Like, she's, she's extremely nude in the same way that uh, Kim Bassinger was yes. basically naked in Never Say Never Again. Yeah, it's like, you know what we should do? Flesh colours. Not black. <laughs> Sheer. Timothy Dalton. Timothy Paper Dalton. thin. Oh, he looks so good in black. He's just, in a lot of this film. He he wears a black shirt very well. Just the black open neck collar. I'm just like, oh. (laughs) I will say, I will say, when he's dressed up and at the casino, the two times or so he's there, they slick his hair back and it looks really weird. Mm. Just when he's normal and his hair's a bit mussy at the front, just divine. Yeah, you, you, then, want, you want you want the, the mussed up bed hair. Yeah, of. and then they slick it back and it looks like he's got a hairpiece or something. It's really <laughs> which, strange. I mean, you know, which would be, you know, spirit uh, <laughs> you know, thematically on brand for this franchise. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> James Bond's secret all these years. <laughs> he's receding. It's a very strange 80s puffed up gelled up kind of look mm. and it's not good it looks really it's very i found it very distracting considering when in the living daylights he was in a 
you know, tuxedos and didn't have that kind of hair. Someone, whoever was doing hair and makeup for that scene just went too crazy. There was that explosion. He tries to kill Sanchez with the explosion. But yeah, I guess just what I would touch on is I think the way he plays Sanchez, that kind of letting the villain bring himself down, mm. that is so clever and so intriguing the way he kind of says I'm a man that you need I'm an assassin for hire essentially I solve problems I'm better than all your people and he plays into that sense of loyalty the way he sets Crest up as a villain so he's been working for and just this comes back to what I was saying in the beginning that scene that you loved where he escapes the boat water skis behind the plane catches up to the plane Mm -hmm. throws the pilots out money's going out it's great. So when it comes time for him to set up Crest, it's perfect because Crest is saying what happened, you know, why the money went missing or whatever. And he's like, well, then there was this guy and he water skied behind the plane and then he got onto the plane and then he threw everyone out of the plane. <laughs> and Sanchez is just sitting <laughs> there going, just sounds ridiculous. Okay, sure, that's what happened. It's very cleverly done and I think it it gives Sanchez as a villain a really interesting perspective because he is so motivated by loyalty as opposed to money. He keeps much to his numbers man's despair. He keeps saying things like, oh, it doesn't matter, it's just money and he's so into that loyalty thing. Wilson said so that plot device Hmm. was kind of stolen And Wilson freely admits the destruction from within aspect of the plot came from Akira Kurosawa's movie Yojimbo, where a samurai, without attacking any of the villain or its cohorts, only sowing the seeds of distrust, manages to have the villain bring himself down. And that's sort of what he lifted that from. So kudos to Kurosawa. (laughs) Well done, that man. Uh, but I think it's just a really interesting device and is a modern take on a villain. Um, yeah, but because there's there's a version of this film where where Bond goes in guns blazing, yes. and he doesn't do that. He's very James Bond about it, which is good. Like because again, it's that contrast between just a straight '80s action movie where the, the character probably would go in all guns blazing, and a James Bond film who is you know he's the worst spy, but he is a, still a spy. You know, so like he's going to do some spy stuff. Well, I do feel like. Bond is too good to let Sanchez be alive for that long. So they kind of need reasons for him to keep the movie going. Like they need reasons for him, for Sanchez to stay alive longer because he goes in and meets him and he could have just pulled the gun out and shot him. But he he seemed to be in a, I don't care what happens to me, I'm getting justice for Felix mood. But then he keeps putting off the, and when he does attempt it with the dynamite and the toothpaste, he screws it up because he messes with someone else's plan. And, oh, that's right, we were going to just talk briefly about that. That's where the surprise ninjas (laughs) come in. That's the Hong Kong agent who, and I love this, he's like, you're an idiot. I've been setting up this sting for years and you've just potentially ruined it. But what it does do is mean that when, like, Sanchez comes to rescue Bond, thinking he's his new guy, well, well, he come he comes to get to catch the the ninjas, and then he discovers Bond there, and he's like, "Oh, you're here. What what were they doing?" And he's like, "Oh, they were trying to get me to talk." Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Yeah, and that's amazing. That lucky for Bond that he's not, you know, a killed there, hmm. and b he's not taken back to England by a very menacing looking MI6 agent. <laughs> He drugs him to, you know, take him back to old Blighty. It's <laughs> interesting. So, Stu, we are approaching the end of this podcast, but I, I feel like we could talk about this film for a lot longer. 
<laughs> Where would you rank it on your list? All right. Now, this was this was more difficult than I thought it was going to be because I was... This is often listed as, like, the lesser of the two Daltons. Like, the Living Daylights tends to be higher on the lists that I've seen. But, Natalie, I like this film a lot more than The Living Daylights. <laughs> and I, and oh, I really, really like The Living Daylights. But I had a lot of fun watching this movie. This is a fun James Bond movie. And so I was like, well, it's definitely going above The Living Daylights on my list, but where does it end up? Because right above The Living Daylights on my list is Moonraker, in number, number seven. Now, does this movie go above Moonraker? Uh, I mean, I this think... This is a struggle for you, because I feel like this one really plays into to your, as you say, your action movie dreams. It really does. And yet I, I actually really like Moonraker. I think Moonraker is an is itself an underappreciated movie. It has been unfairly maligned over the years as like the silly Bond when that that's kind of the point of it. Like, like it, it, yes. it definitely knows what sort of a movie it is. It, it's not accidentally like it that. It fills the brief of yeah. what, yeah. Absolutely. It, it, has, it has a vision and it perfectly executes that vision. Yeah, so, and you and, can't compare that 1979. I mean, it's only a decade difference. But yeah, it's, it's difference. exactly a decade difference. Yeah, but what a change, you know? What a change. So, I mean, like, so so I really like Moonraker. So I think this goes right under Moonraker, which means it's right next to The Living Daylights, which means that at the moment, License to Kill and The Living Daylights are basically smack bang in the middle of my list. Which feels pretty right. I loved both of these movies. I really, really loved License to Kill. But I think if you you take a step back, for me anyway, like they are definitely, there's a reason that they're confined to sort of middling Bond in a a way. Like, Like they're not the franchise at its absolute peak, but they're very serviceable movies. They're not bad in any sense of the imagination. And like I said, License to Kill is a hell of a lot of fun. It's not quite as fun as Moonraker, which is deeply silly, but, you know, it's good. It's a fun, action-packed James Bond movie. Timothy Dalton's great. Uh, I'm very comfortable putting it in my eighth spot right below Moonraker. Well, I am pretty much the same as you, but flipped. I really enjoyed this film, but I think... If I had to sort of rank it, I'm like, I think I like The Living Daylights more, but I still think this is a really solid entry and really I'm quite happy to put it above all the other things on my list, which includes, you know, Live and Let Die, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Thunderball, all those things going down. But I just think it's really strong and I think I like The Living Daylights. I don't watch it enough. It's really fun. I love the character of Pam. I love her. I love that kind of let's bring in the – I am not Miss, I'm Miz or whatever he says. And, <laughs> you know, there's just a, a, a lot of fun there. I feel like some of the plot doesn't, even though L- Living Daylights has that bloated third act that we talked about, I feel like it's probably the, the first two thirds are so tight and fun and great that mm. I think there are some aspects of this one that I'm just like, hey, what do you do that? You know, the Lupe stuff and... But at the same time, Sanchez is such a better villain, you know, and I think that really elevates this film, that Bond kind of has his match, like his, and I think that's what Robert Darby did. I I was reading somewhere that he stayed in character offset. That would have been scary. (laughs) Um, He stayed in character that, yeah, that would have been very intimidating. But he based his portrayal on Le Chiffre in Casino Royale, the book. He went back and read all the old books and he kind of wanted to be the mirror image of Bond. And I think that was a really clever choice. And I think he's really great as that opposite to Bond. And I think that's what he finds attractive about Bond because Bond is like the classy British version of him, you know, deadly, but 
I think uh, Sanchez has kind of designs on himself. Like he thinks he's this urbane, sophisticate kind of thing, but he's a thug and a drug dealer. But he, you know, his thing is, no, 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 I'm loyalty. I'm a businessman. I own a country, you know, and I think it it plays off each other really well. So I do think because of that, it deserves to be higher in the rankings list. And I love Q's involvement, totally random, but love it. And (laughs) it's got some really great action sequences, but I think I like the Living Daylights better. I think I like the romance of it. I think I like the espionage side of it. So that probably plays more to my strengths than the 80s movie action kind of stuff that really scratches your scratchy. Um, yes, definitely. Well, that is the, the perfect distillation of what we are looking for in Bond movies, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I then put it just under The Living Daylights, which I think that puts it in my eighth spot if I am counting Right, so exactly, so exactly the same as me. So it's in my eighth as well. Yes, but Living Daylights is then just under yours, isn't it? It's, it's your ninth. So Living Daylights is ninth on mine. Yeah, yeah, whereas Living Daylights for me is seventh. So. Right, okay. Oh, yeah, they're right. In the, okay, I see what you mean now. Yes, exactly in the middle. How how uh, <laughs> possibly <laughs> disappointing for listeners who wanted more argument. But, <laughs> yeah, it just it feels right to put them there because I think, they're, I think they're stronger. I think they're really interesting. They do interesting things. When you think of Bond films, I don't think you necessarily think of those ones first. But no, although although I, I feel like they deserve to be more in the conversation than they have been in the past because That's true. they're both they're both solid entries in the series. And and this was John Glenn's last film because as we know he directed all the eighties films and we had a bird at one point I think we had a surprise. Yeah 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 yeah. Bird I think it was when he was on the balcony about to try and blow up Sanchez. Absolutely and yeah there's a yeah. there's a, a surprise bird. Surprise bird so that's there and he says that he thinks it was his best Bond film. I read that. So well, I mean, look, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, lo- looking at some of his others, like it's it's not bad. It's yeah. not bad, Natalie. So there we go. And it's quite sad watching the end of this film because you see Timothy Dalton all wet, uh, macking on with Pam <laughs> Bouvier, and then there's the Patty LaBelle song that comes over the end credits with the "If You Ask Me To." And it's that, all kind of romantic. Very, and, that's very 80s action movie as well. Is it? There's always like yeah. a love ballad at the end. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay, and now I see why you're so excited. But then at the end, I mean, first of all, there's a big disclaimer about smoking, which I think Chris mentioned mm. last week, and then it's like James Bond will return, but of course he doesn't. You know, for six years. But also Timothy Dalton doesn't. And there's this very big sense, as I said, when I watched it, like, oh, that's it. That's all we get of Mm. Timothy Dalton in that role. And he's so good and handsome and, yeah. (laughs) He's genuinely good. He manages to to capture the the charming side of Bond that we got with Roger Moore and and pair it with the, the, the dangerous ruthless side that you got with Connery. I read one critic's review saying that they thought he looked as bored doing his second Bond movie as Sean Connery looked doing his fifth, which was You I Won't Look Twice. I don't get that at all. Yeah. Well, remember how I said that, and Nick, I think, agreed that You Only Live Twice, is, Sean Connery's kind of walking through it a bit. He doesn't look as engaged. I remember yeah, making that yeah. point. And I don't think Dalton has the same thing here. I think, no. as I said, I think he doesn't really like doing that pun stuff. Yes. Because <laughs> I never felt that he really embraced the punning. You know, that was Roger Moore's shtick. And I think he kind of went, I don't want to do that, mm. but had to settle for a few. But I don't get the feeling that he was. No, dis- definitely not. And, and it, it, if anything, like the fact that he's vaguely uncomfortable with the role, actually, if, if anything, plays into the character. Yeah. Like, like that sort of uneasiness and, and that sort of <laughs> that vague sense of disgust with himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it sort of really it, like it, it informs the character in many ways. And it, it, it really 
uh, helps sell it. I I really like him as Bond. I, I had I had only seen these movies maybe once each a long time ago when I was a kid, basically. And I did not remember them being this good. And I did not remember Timothy Dalton being this good. And obviously yeah. the prevailing wisdom, it's starting to turn now. Like, you know, there's mm. been there's been recent polls and, and things like that that have that have said that, you know, his standing and, and in fandom has really risen over the years. But, you know, for a long time, he was, you know, almost almost uh, Lazenby level of, you know, oh, and Timothy Dalton with his two crap Bond films. And it's like, no, these these rule and he's really good. I think it's maybe because there was a bit of a 80s. I remember being at school in the 90s and there was a bit of a Ugh, the 80s. They were so embarrassing. Uh. Yeah, maybe. Like a, because of, you know, the fashion and the hair and the whatever. And once you get a f- bit further away, like in the 2010s, by the 2010s, the 80s were very cool. And then cool people will say the 80s were always very cool. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's not for nothing that you go to a wedding or you go anywhere where you can't go right now because of COVID, but you go anywhere and you put on 80s music and generally everyone's dancing and whatnot. And then sort of the 90s were looked back at a bit, oh, God, the 90s are so lame. And I'm like, but I was in the 90s. Aren't they cool? And and now well, 90s they're, they're having, fashion, they're having their renaissance. They're having their renaissance. So, and I remember in the 90s, the 70s were cool. Like mm. we were like, hey, remember the 70s? 70s well, in the cool. 80s, the 50s were cool. Yeah, good point. And it's like we're running out of stuff, guys. Who's going to remember the <laughs> – I've already seen you, – you can see now a fair few BuzzFeed listicles and various things about the 2000s and, like, these wild fashions of 2006. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I had definitely forgotten the phenomenon of uh, skirt over jeans. I'd forgotten that. But, see, that had been done uh, – I could have sworn that as a kid I tried to get away with the skirt over jeans and my mother was like, <laughs> stop it. I think that was like a late 80s, very brief sort of thing. But yeah, in the 2010s, it was it was huge. And for a while, you could buy jeans that were like leggings at the top and jeans from like the mid thigh down so that you didn't have the bulk. Because that's what I always was like, but you've got like a bulky top bit where your waistband and your pockets are. And it doesn't look good under a dress. So then they started selling these half and half pants. So you could wear the dress over the top and then have the jeans. (laughs) when we were doing the hitchhikers podcast and i forgot to mention it a few weeks ago but in that film because that's 2006 and trillion is wearing a spacesuit but with the most incredible flared pants and that's because flared jeans were popular then absolutely yeah yeah. not be now so things change so quickly time marches on makes us all sad but hey let's have a pick me up next week is fucking golden it's golden eye baby and i was sad at the end of this film. And then I went, wait a second, Goldeneye! <laughs> I don't want to prejudge anything stupid. I freaking love Goldeneye. Yeah, Goldeneye's pretty great. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so excited. I'm, oh, my God, next week I get to sit down and watch Goldeneye. You guys, yep. you guys. Uh, not that I haven't enjoyed going, I get to sit down and watch James Bond movies, but sometimes I'm a bit like, I've got to fit this in, I've got to fit in this. So I was like, no, I am taking the day off. I am setting myself up. I'm getting in pizza. I'm doing the whole thing. It's just going to be having a me day. It's just me and Pierce Brosnan and Sean Bean and the Foster Cats, and it's going to be great. I have a very lonely live, life, Live too. your best uh, life, Natalie. <laughs> Well, with that, we say farewell to Timothy Dalton. Farewell to Maurice Binder. Farewell to Albert R. Broccoli, who I think just makes it to Goldeneye. 
but is sick. I don't think he's involved in much in the production. Yeah, that they really clear house after this. It's a, it's a yeah. the end of an era. We have different M's, different money pennies. So yeah, welcome to the decade before the end of the century. We have a whole <laughs> new problem. That's a good way of putting it. So next week we will jump into the 90s and things will get real. Oh yeah. So until then, I'm Natalie. And I'm Stu. And we're shaken. Not stirred. <laughs>